Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is February the 8th, 2022. Not a huge amount of news today. Probably the most interesting news is that the Oscar nominations are out. Um, I don't think it was necessarily the greatest of year for movies. Uh, Power of the Dog, I think, got the most nominations. Belfast, which was very ordinary. Um, as always, when the nominations come out, lots of observations about the diversity of the nominees. King Richard was included, uh, but not a lot of other uh, black or, 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 or diverse actors or shows. Uh, perhaps the biggest disgrace was that a brilliant movie, I thought at least, the 2021 movie called Passing, which is about a couple of women who passed as white, or one in particular. Uh, the, the actress, um, Ruth Negger, uh, didn't receive the best supporting actress. So she was passed, uh, if you like, uh, by the... Uh, I don't know if it's the committee or the voters. It's actually quite disgraceful. It's a brilliant film for people who haven't seen um, Passing. It's a must-see, one of the best films of the year. It should have been in the best movies of the year, too. It is, as I said, a book about uh, two black women who pass as white women and the complexity, the problems, political, cultural, psychological of that. And we are indeed talking today about passing, but in a broader, uh, more political sense. Uh, my guest today on the show, talking to me from not too far away, just outside Sacramento in Northern California, is the prolific best-selling writer A.J. Bame. He has a new book out today called White Lies, The Double Life of Walter F. White and America's Darkest Secret. Um, we'll get to that dark secret later. But uh, White... Um, uh, who was a civil rights activist and led the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, uh, did indeed pass uh, for a white man. And this is some of the complexity of his narrative. Um, AJ, welcome. Did you see Passing? Uh, I haven't seen the film yet. I've been here in this office pounding away on my keyboard and not a lot of time at the cinema right now. Well, you'll have to see it because it, I'm sure it will particularly resonate with you, given the life of of of, of White. Yeah, again, appropriately named, I guess, a, a black man who passed as a white man and was called White. How did he get away with it? Well, um, the subtitle of the book is called "The Double Life of Walter F. White" because Walter lived a double life. He realized at a young age, uh, he identified as black. He went to a black school, black church, black university. Um, but his skin was white and his hair was blonde and his eyes were blue. So um, he began living a double life in 1918. Uh, and that's the first half of the book explores this double life that he lives. He lives at the same time as a, as a well-known, you might even say famous uh, black man in Harlem. But at the same time, he was living as a white man, uh, as an undercover investigator, um, investigating racist crimes, murders, ritualistic tortures, things like that, and the South. So his story sort of uniquely illuminates both of those worlds. This stuff, of course, people passing as white or black is unavoidably political. 
the heroine of um, of of, uh, of of passing, um, the fictional and not so fictional heroine, was married to uh, a racist, a white racist, who eventually realized that he was married to a black woman. Um, was he passing for political reasons? Was that the only way that he could actually get access to the levers of power in America of the first half of the 20th century? Yes, I believe so. But really, the, the book is split in, in two. There's sort of the first half of Walter's life is when he's conducting these uh, undercover investigations as a white man. And also how he becomes a famous novelist and a figure in the Harlem Renaissance and his rise in the NAACP. Um, the second half of the book is very much about politics because uh, Walter, he leads, you know, over 40 undercover investigations. He cracks these murder cases in communities where everybody knows that the white killers, who the white killers are and the black people who are dead, but nobody is ever arrested. Uh, and he becomes obsessed with becoming a national political powerhouse, which is exactly what happens. And he becomes a confidant of Eleanor Roosevelt and then FDR and ultimately Harry Truman. We did a show uh, last year uh, about a book written by Bill Stegerwald, a, a Pittsburgh-based journalist, based on the life of Ray Spriggle, who was a white journalist who um, went undercover as a black man to report on the Jim Crow South. I guess white is the reverse of, of Spriggle in many ways. Is that fair? I think that might be fair. I didn't read that book, so I can't say from experience. But uh, yeah, I mean... It it seems like it. Walter realized early in his life that he had a choice, uh, whether to live in the future as a black man or a white man. And he knew that if he lived as a white man, it would destroy his family life. Um, but also he realized that he could sort of almost like weaponize his skin color uh, to become an agent of change in America uh, in a fight for, for justice. His family life, though, was ultimately ruined, wasn't it? I mean, eventually uh, he married a white woman, a woman uh, called Poppy, uh, and uh, his uh, his children cut off relations with him. Uh, so White himself was a complicated character when it came to race. Did he think of himself as a black man or as a white man? He thought of himself mostly as a black man, but he, he identified as both, really. And I can read you his, exactly what he, th these are his words. I am one of the two in the color of my skin. I am the other in my spirit and my heart. It is only a love of both which binds the two together in me. I am white and I am black and I know that there is no difference. So what does he mean by the other in my heart? I mean, is there any difference in your heart between whether you're white or black? Do you think, at least in his mind? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think he was, um, you know, he, he identified ultimately as black. And the scandal you're talking about sort of creeps up through the book. And we ultimately learn that while Walter is leading the NAACP, while Walter is married to a black woman and has black children, he's secretly in love with a white woman. And he knows that if this secret gets out, that uh, his reputation will be destroyed. He's very much a public figure, very famous. And he knows his enemies which are legion are going to come after him, and that's exactly what happened. And that's oh, really so. Sorry, um, AJ, was this a secret to his enemies? Was did nobody know that he was actually a white man pretending to be black? Well, I don't think that's the case. That he was a. White uh, sorry, man. I apologize. I got it the wrong way around. A black man pretending to be white was this? It wasn't public knowledge, right? 
It absolutely was. And I don't think at any point, the only time Walter was really pretending is when he was out, when he was passing as a white man in the South to investigate murders, claimed to be a white newspaper reporter from powerful newspaper uh, in the North, barging into governor's offices with memorandums saying, you know, I investigated this, this murder case and here are the killers. Here's where they work. This is their addresses. That's when he was pretending, posing as a white man. Um, as for, uh, you know, the scandal we talked about, um, very few people, nobody knew that he was in love with a white woman except for himself and Bobby Cannon. Um, and uh, ultimately when he made that public, uh, it was very much a media sensation um, like you would experience today, except it played out in the newspapers because of course television didn't exist. He wrote, uh, uh, excuse me, he wrote uh, a bio, uh, an autobiography, um, uh, A Man Called White. Uh, how honest was his biography? Um, well, it's his version of the story, of course. So um, uh, there are certain things that are left out. Um, and What did I, he leave out? Well, you know, I read that book so many times. They're, they're just things that he chose to focus on the most. I don't think he left anything really imperative out of there. Um, but it's ultimately his, you know, his side of the story as to what happened, where in a person, you know, from my point of view, I have to be looking at it from all directions, um, particularly the people in his inner circle. What were his politics, AJ? There's... Um... I'm sure you read uh, a, a review in the New York Times today of your book that suggests that White's politics were too personal and that he was essentially um, certainly uh, not willing to acknowledge the credibility of, 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 of the American march on Washington, on uh, strikers, uh, and indeed on the influence of communism in the South. Was he... A conservative is that? Would that be would that be a fair way to describe his politics, or do you think it's inappropriate to think of him in 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 those kind of political terms? Uh, I don't think it's appropriate because that those words like liberal and conservative meaning very very different things now than they did at that time. I think um, an important point to make though is I think w w Walter with his politics he really wanted he was highly ambitious he was after fame. Uh, and he knew that the most change that he could affect would happen inside the Oval Office. And so when the um, basically he wanted all roads led to the Oval Office, all roads led to getting FDR to make certain moves and getting Truman to make certain moves. Um, and at that time, um, the communist movement was alive in America. I think a lot of poor people in the 1930s during the Great Depression really saw some value in the ethos of spreading the wealth around. Um, but Walter really went for the jugular. He went for the, you know, the home run hit. Um, and that meant choosing politics that were more mainstream. You came uh, to Walter White, I think, from above, essentially. You've written a number of best-selling books, including uh, a couple on, on Truman. Did you discover White through, um, through your work and your books on, on, on Truman and indeed FDR? Yes, I did. You know, Walter appears as a minor character in the last three books that I've written. And every time I would circle around him, I just found his story really fascinating. Um, and it just shocked me that people didn't know who he was. If you mentioned what, what element of the story, the fact that he was a, a black man who impersonated a white man. 
Is that mostly what, what, what's unique about his story? I think everything is unique about his story um, from beginning to end. Uh, every part of his life was full of surprises. And the more that I dug into his story, the more surprises I found. And the more I dug into the research, the more I realized that the paper trail was there, that I, you know, I had uh, so much material um, from him, his memorandums, his letters, uh, his writings that were never published, um, thousands and thousands of letters that were sent out. And um, what's, what amazed me most though, is the degree to which his story illuminates different worlds in American culture that are really clashing, whether it's um, you know the rise of the KKK in the first half of the 20th century, or the rise of black political power um, at the same time. Right, and that rise of black political power, he was a, a complex, ambivalent figure. In the New York Times review, um, the, the reviewer suggests that you didn't spend enough time investigating whether or not White was an FBI informant. You say that when he died, he was publicly mourned by J. Edgar Hoover and Richard Nixon, but not by his own children. Is it conceivable that he was an FBI agent, do you think? It was, and I went to, I did do some research in this field. I ordered his FBI file um, and there was really nothing to be found there. There was no paper trail, but uh, just as this reviewer is suggesting, I do say in, in the book that it's, it's highly likely that he had a more interesting relationship with Edgar Hoover than we might surmise um, because basically Walter fought against law enforcement quite a bit. He was, you know, going into these communities in the South and talking about how police officers were not arresting murderers. And in some cases where police officers were involved in the murders themselves. Um, this did not make him very popular in the Justice Department and yet he was very close with J. Edgar Hoover. So, um, you know, why is that? I, I talk about that a little bit in the book but I don't go farther because um, there is no paper trail. Uh, we've done a number of shows about various kinds of lynching and, and racist riots in America. We did show with Hillary Beard on Tulsa. We, we, all we need to do is mention the word Tulsa and it gives many Americans um, the creeps. Um, we also uh, did a show um, on the Elaine race massacre um, in Arkansas. My sense from your work is that you see um, White's greatest accomplishment in, in, in fighting these race riots and these lynchings. Is that fair? I think in the first half of his life, that's very fair. And the two that you mentioned are two that, you know, pretty much every single major uh, racial incidents of racial violence during the, the 20s, uh, Walter investigated firsthand, starting in 1918, including Tulsa and including... Um, the, the Arkansas, the Elaine, uh, the Elaine, um, the Elaine race massacre in Arkansas. Exactly. So, um, and his documents, in, in some cases, I was able to found his handwritten notes while he's interviewing people. I have, I was able to find that material. Um, let's say, let's say AJ, that he was an FBI agent. Uh, who knows? And no one's going to determine that. Do you think it could be justified in the sense that he might argue or his defenders might argue that the only way to change America was with a man like White from the inside and that radical Marxist revolutionary African-Americans were bound to fail. So even if he was working with J. Edgar Hoover, ultimately that decision could be justified 
uh, in terms of its ends? You know, it's that's a fascinating question. It's not my place to justify what he did and what he didn't do. Um, but you're his biographer. You, you've spent a lot of time thinking about the guy. Yeah, I, I mean, can you rephrase your question? Because I'm not quite sure what you're getting at. Um, my question is, do the means justify the ends or do the ends justify the means? If indeed he was an FBI agent working with J. Edgar Hoover, if that resulted in part at least in benefiting the African-American community, perhaps in fighting the lynchings, the Tulsas, the, um, uh, the Elaine Ra uh, race massacre style events, could that be justified given that many people, many figures within the African-American community on the left, on the revolutionary left, failed, lost? That, again, that's a fascinating question. And, you know, I, I'd have to say any person who really studies the, this material is going to answer that question differently. And so the question that you're asking is really what my politics are, I think, to some degree. Um, well, I'm not necessarily, but what are your politics? <laughs> I write books. Um, but, you know, when you write a book about a... a, a a politically controversial figure, you have to make decisions. You, it doesn't make you political, but you've got to have a view on this. I mean, you spent years with this guy. I do, and I do have a view. And my view is essentially that what Walter wanted to do was affect change. And he was highly successful. And the way he did that was to go right down the middle to the White House, mainstream politics. Um, he was highly influential. You might say he was the most influential person from Black America convincing this, you know, Black America, this historic realignment of Black black voting power from the uh, Republican to the Democratic Party, where it remains today. Those were, were Walter's goals. He was a big picture guy, CEO type, and he was highly successful. And I think anybody who reads the book would say that, you know, this guy was clearly a faulty personality. He was not a perfect man by any stretch of the words. But it makes him all too human and actually a little bit more interesting than saintly characters who get, uh, but by sometimes by their biographers turned into unrealistic figures. So I think your, your response is actually very honest. Was there an anti-white in White's day, an African-American figure unwilling to make those kind of compromises, perhaps a little bit more heroic, uh, more morally virtuous, but ultimately a failure in political terms? Was there the opposite of a white whose politics were much more further to the left? Um, well, I mean, it, it, you have to bring up Marcus Garvey and, and, right. and where he would fit in, into the definitions that you're molding there. Um, and Walter was very, you know, against the Garvey movement and the Garvey move, movement failed um, and was resurrected years later in certain ways. But, um, you know, it still exists really within the African-American community today between moderates and, hard, uh, and, and radicals, which is perfectly normal because every community is 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 riven by ideological splits about how to achieve political change i think you're right and the split began during walter's life and it can really be sort of personified in his his split with w.e.b du bois they, right they, and i was thinking of du bois yes, another great african-american figure yes and much more highly revered today than walter white is absolutely yeah absolutely yes and um, very, you know, far to the left, I believe, ultimately joined the Communist Party, I think. Um, but uh, that was not um, 
those, yeah, Walter, those were not Walter's politics. And ultimately, it's interesting to see that fracture happening within the NAACP at that time uh, and how that evolved in the future after both of those men were dead, are dead. We are speaking with A.J. Bain, the author of a really interesting new book, White Lies, The Double Life of Walter F. White and America's Darkest Secret. Um, after the break, I want to talk about that dark secret. I want to talk about the um, NCAAP uh, and, and, and a little bit more granular approach to uh, not only Walt, uh, uh, White's life, but um, perhaps his life after his death. So uh, we are going to be back with AJ Bain in about 60 seconds. Hold tight, everyone. Hi, everyone. Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it, but I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, if you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to Keenon. We are back with AJ Bain, the author of White Lies, a really interesting book about the double life of Walter F. White and America's Darkest Secret. Um, AJ, tell me about his involvement with the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, particularly um, the Legal Defense and Education Fund. We had um, Cheryl Eiffel on the show a couple of years ago, a remarkable woman who I think now runs it. How significant is the organization and what was his contribution? Well, at the NAACP, he joined in 1918. So Walter was plucked from obscurity in Atlanta by James Welton Johnson, um, who, you know, whose name should ring a bell to your listeners. And an extraordinary man became Walter's mentor. Uh, when Walter joined the organization, it was tiny. It was very small. He only would have heard of it through connections at Atlanta University. And um, early in his life, Walter found out that there, that um, the Atlanta school board was going to cancel the seventh grade or the eighth grade, I think, for um, black students to uh, build a new high school for white ones. And this is when he decides, you know, he had heard of the NAACP. He decides to try to launch a branch with his friends. Ultimately, he is successful 
And James Welton Johnson comes down to Atlanta to speak to a group. And he and Walter hit it off. And he convinces Walter to move to uh, New York to join the organization. And um, all through the 1920s, during while Walter was, you know, doing these undercover investigations in the South, uh, the NAACP was really exploding with, with um, membership across the country. Uh, interestingly, at the same time that the KKK was doing the same thing, um, and Walter became obsessed with the KKK and with, uh, in fact, understandably, I mean, they were how, how, they were a pretty uh, dangerous organization. It was it was not just a figment of his imagination, right? No, and and as a matter of fact, he tried to join. He wanted to infiltrate the Klan, <laughs> and uh, I was able to find his application, which was fascinating to look at. Uh, I saw a television movie about Thurgood Marshall. Um, uh, I know that uh, White was quite involved with Marshall. How important was that relationship? Well, Walter hired Marshall to launch this um, part of the NAACP that um, ultimately, you know, became possibly, you know, maybe even eclipsing the NAACP altogether. I don't know. But uh, Thurgood Marshall was this brilliant young uh, attorney who Walter hired and introduced Thurgood Marshall to high society and gave him this sort of like uh, a lesson on how um, polit politics can be theater, you know, uh, how to be self-promotional. And together they started um, working on education cases leading up to Brown versus Board of Education um, right at the end of Walter's life. How important do you think that relationship was? Was it the key one in legal terms, in terms of the NAACP for White's life, in terms of the accomplishments? I think it was. I mean, you know, the, the two most powerful figures in Walter's life and the second half, particularly in the later years, were Thurgood Marshall and Roy Wilkins, who ultimately took over the NAACP. Um, they were hires from the 1930s. Um, and uh, yeah, but Thurgood Thur Thur Bush, I mean, obviously, everybody knows he was the first black Supreme Court justice, but this book goes a little bit into his past and, and his rise to prominence, um, particularly regarding his relationship with Walter. AJ, I mentioned uh, the movie Passing at the beginning, which uh, disgracefully is not included in the uh, <clears throat> Oscar nominations today. Um, it's a wonderful depiction also of the Harlem Renaissance. You mentioned in your work that White was part of this. What was it and what was his role in particular? Well, his role was twofold. You know, Walter was really wanted to be highly, highly famous. <laughs> he was very ambitious in that way. He needed sort of self-approval, um, the approval of others, and he wanted fame. And he showed up at... Uh, Why? And, Is it because he was just insecure? He was greedy for fame? A little bit of that, and that's built into the book and in, in, in understanding his character, yes. Um, but he, his role in the Harlem Renaissance was twofold. He became a very uh, well-known novelist after he published his first novel in 1924. But arguably, his, his bigger accomplishment, he became sort of the de facto press, um, press man for other artists and singers uh, emerging during the Renaissance. And... You know, Walter really thought that he learned this from James Weldon Johnson. The two most powerful things that the black race needed were activism and art because the two things uh, were so uh, deeply ingrained in each other. Um, and so su succeeding as a singer in the Harlem Renaissance, succeeding as a poet, succeeding as a novelist um, uh, was extremely important for, for reasons beyond the obvious.
Do you think that's true in retrospect? Do you think the Harlem Renaissance achieved anything for the broader African-American community? I think it did. I think absolutely it did. Um, you know, James Weldon Johnson said that um, any race of people can be judged and should be judged by the literature it produces. And the literature coming out of the Renaissance, you know, we're still celebrating it today. What about, though, its failure? Well, not its failure, but the fact that the economic development of the African-American community didn't really go hand in hand with perhaps those cultural developments. And again, in the sense of a, a perhaps of a, a, a leftist critique, if not of the Harlem Renaissance, more of a, a, a prioritizing cultural over economic and political development. Well, I think in the 1920s, it, that all went hand in hand. And, you know, for the first time ever, a lot of people in Harlem had a bunch of money at that time during the 1920s. The economy was booming for the first time. Uh, you know, Black America was really feeling it, at least in Harlem, and it was, which was one of the reasons why it made it such an exciting time there. Um, but the coming of the Great Depression just destroyed it. And a lot of those literary icons during the 20s, they all died poor, and many of them died poor and alcoholic. Um, and many of them left America because of the innate racism in this country. That's true as well. Went to Europe and lots of, lots of individual tragic stories of that. We are talking with A.J. Bain, the author of White Lies, The Double Life of Walter F. White and America's Darkest Secret. Um, A.J., yesterday I had Larry Miller, very prominent, successful uh, African-American executive, corporate executive, um, and he has a dark secret too. Uh, the secret in his new autobiography um, uh, is that he committed a murder when he was a young man. What is, in your book, America's darkest secret? Well, um, I think as, as, as readers you know, move on through the book, they realize what I'm talking about. And something I address in the very first sentence very first paragraph of this book is that black readers, some black readers will come to this with a different point of view than white re readers will. Um, and this is something I address right in the very first sentence, the very first paragraph. So, um, but really what the darkest secret is referring to is the fact that, that um, what Walter investigated so many years, the, the, the degree of injustice in this country to the point where murder can happen with impunity in a, a democracy where we have a bill of rights, the 14th and the 15th amendments, that's really America's darkest secret in this book. Now you can take it to task and say, well, that wasn't a, a, the darkest secret, you know, it wasn't a secret at all to black America, but it was to much of white America, which is really at the heart of this injustice to begin with. So that's what I'm addressing there. We live of course in the AJJ of Black Lives Matter, dominated 2020 and 2021. What do you think the existence of Black Lives Matter, what, 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 what does that tell us about the achievements of reformists like White um, earlier in the 20th century? Does it speak of their achievements or of their failure or of a mix? Well, I think it, it speaks to failure of our country. And, you know, our, you know, our national identity is plagued by the same issue. You know, when Walter was dying, he was um, writing his last book, and it's called How Far the Promised Land, with a question mark on the end. And in that book, he talks about the fact that so much progress he had seen um, during his lifetime, there was so much heartbreak, but also so much success that in you know, writing this book, he didn't have to uh, devote a chapter to lynching in America. And he thought that that was, you know, 
indicative of the success that he saw in his lifetime. And in between the time that that book was finished and he typed the last period at the end of the last sentence and the time it, it, it was published, he died. And during that same time, the Emmett Till lynching case happened, uh, which you know just points out the fact that, that these sort of injustices are still occurring in our country. But there are injustices that are happening for structural reasons rather than because of uh, the identity of one kind of politician or another, aren't they? I can't really address why these things are are are, are you must have an opinion. The darkness in people's souls. What 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 we we realize is that these things are still happening. Um, the difference is today, you know, ideally, um, when we look at the, the our justice department, at least we're reading about court cases and we're reading about people who are being convicted of crimes. Where Walter was investigating crimes for 12, 13 years in which he would easily find out the names of killers, present those names to the governor of the state, publish their names in newspapers, and no one was ever arrested. That kind of thing isn't happening anymore. Uh, we began, um, AJ, talking about movies. So let's end on a movie now. We began talking about passing, which in a peculiar way is a sort of reflection of your book, White, uh, White Lies. Um, You've written a number of books, uh, including uh, a book about um, Ford versus Ferrari that got turned into a very successful movie. I enjoyed it very much. It sounds like your book would make a good movie. Do you think it would? White Lies? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And I get, you know, if I apologize, if I answer questions with I don't know, it's like, I can't see that. I don't see movies when I'm writing a book, um, what I'm trying your, to- your books often get turned into production, it, visual production. So it must occur to you as you're writing this. Well, I think they do just simply because of the, the topics that I choose. So all of my books, um, uh, one of the first things I look for when I'm, I'm trying to decide what it is I want to write on is narrative structure. Does the, does a story have a narrative with the beginning, middle, end, and a climax? And can I get inside the, uh, the main character's heads. Is there enough material to understand that character and animate that character? Um, and in all these cases, they seem to be like uh, stories that tend to lend themselves to that. And I just find myself, when I think about these things, like if I don't find myself, you know, uh, tearing up and sometimes actually, you know, weeping while I'm doing this research, it's because I'm not understanding the character enough. And when I try to understand characters that way, um, they tend to come out on the page sort of in a cinematic way. Um, Ruth, and as I said at the beginning, Ruth Negger got overlooked, I think disgracefully. She wasn't included in the Best Supporting Actress. Um, who, if they did make a movie of, um, of White Lies, who should play uh, Walter White? You know, that's an extremely difficult question um, because you've cast the wrong person you've destroyed the film. So how do you cast somebody who illuminates the white and the black world, who can identify as black? It, it would have to be somebody who would identify as black the way Walter did. Um, or I think it would be a, a movie that would be doomed for failure to begin with. Um, but they can do a lot of things with makeup these days. I really don't know. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have the slightest idea. It's an interesting question, and perhaps if or when the book is turned into a movie, we'll have you back on, uh, AJ, to talk about the movie and, and who's been cast. 
um, whether success or not. Uh, congratulations on the book. Very interesting subject. You put a huge amount of work. It's a very lucid, coherent book, White Lies, The Double Life of Walter F. White and America's Darker Secret. Like most of your books, I think it will be a bestseller. Uh, as I said at the beginning, you are just outside Sacramento, in February 2022. In addition to White Lies, what else should people be reading these days, uh, AJ? Well, you know, um, I think that my favorite book from this research behind me is mm. uh, just a book that when I've, I've read it uh, two and a half times, that I just feel like exudes absolute genius in the writing uh, is, is When Harlem Was in Vogue by David Levering Lewis. Has that ever come up in your... No. Is he is still around? Maybe I should get him on the show. Do you know him? He is a, he is around. And uh, I've, I've seen email correspondence with regards to my book, White Lies. Um and uh, I don't know where to find him, but he is he is alive. And that is a book that everybody should read. It's just so much fun to read and so exciting. And you feel like you're walking through through the streets in the 1920s and meeting these fabulous characters. And repeat the name of the, the book and the author again, AJ. When Harlem Was in Vogue by David Levering Lewis. Um, Good. When Harlem Was in Vogue sounds like a wonderful book. Your book is also important. Talks about, in part, the Harlem Renaissance, White Lies, the Double Life of Walter F. White and America's Darkest Secret. It's more than a double life. It's a very complex life with no easy answers. And I think, AJ, you've done an excellent job not falling into camps and stereotyping white. It's all too easy to do. So congratulations on the book. And uh, I'd love to have you back on the show in the not-too-distant future talking about your other work. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much.